0: Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. big week this week. Um, but before we jump into that, maybe just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, we had a we had a great conversation last week with Trip Krauss from KNBA. Uh, Trip is the news director over there. I didn't feel like we got really a proper introduction. We sort of dove right into the nitty-gritty of the policy piece of what we were discussing. And so I just wanted to circle back around. If anyone's interested in hearing more of Trip's voice or hearing any of their reporting, uh, they can find uh, Trip at KNBA uh, and Quantic Broadcasting. So, uh that brings us to this week, which was eventful yeah so so Don Young passed away um and he was our congressman since before I was born and um i you know he he was Don Young, and I think that's all I really have to say about him. I think that there's a lot of good reporting out there, there' a lot of people sharing their opinions on social media, there are a lot of Um, people kind of unpacking there are a lot of opinions and it's, it's interesting to see the conversations that have emerged and uh, you know, the criticisms and the criticisms of the criticisms and the criticisms of the criticisms of the criticisms. And uh, there, you know, we're really unpacking a lot right now and I don't think I really have a lot more to, to offer to that conversation. Um, But the one thing for me that I do find really interesting is this question of what's next you know, we have a new voting system and we have an absent seat in, the, in. we are unrepresented in Congress. Uh, Alaska has no congressional uh, representation right now. And uh, the process to fill it is, is kind of interesting. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I think that's <clears throat> like, I. you know, it's been interesting to see everybody's response. I think, you know, as a reporter, I had very little interaction with him ever. So I don't really like have these like, charming stories i guess where like you know you're finding a firearm on him or something or you're putting a microphone on him but um yeah i think you know the what next is going to be the real i mean that's sort of been the question in a lot of ways like for most of my time covering him right is it you know he's in he's an 88 year old man um who, you know, had COVID right off the bat. And, uh, you know, I think there's sort of been a discussion about like, what's going to happen after him for a long time. And I think it's sort of something that even he, um, you know, it's a legacy that he sort of was, you know, he was interested in towards the end. And, um, so he's this guy who, you know, won in a special election in 73, you know, replacing a predecessor who died in a plane crash. And, um, you know now you know he's been the representative for the majority of the state of alaska you know he's really represents alaska on a national level for all this time and now you know as as the nation is sort of like very interested in in you know as people are very interested in this new election system might the you know what more interesting way to have it than have a you know the new election system deciding the replacement for don young so uh, i think it's kind of, it's interesting because it's going to really put a lot of focus on how that system works in a way that it kind of felt like we might not have had otherwise, you know, I think we have to have this special election coming up. And however, it plays out, it's going to be really interesting to see. And so, you know, those next steps are kind of unclear at this moment, right? You know, so we're gonna have an open primary, open special primary, um, 60 to 90 days from now, and then a special election after that, that yeah. would be ranked choice.
0: So, so it does seem kind of clear. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's <laughs> we, clear, but uh, yeah. as far
1: as like the time, exact <laughs> yeah. days of when things are going to happen, filing deadlines, who's going to run, you know, right. that's another Who's going to run too, it's gonna is going to
0: be that... huge. And so, you know, do we, do we end up with someone that's like temporary? That's just sort of like filling the seat for until the, until the next election period, or are we going to ha- see the same batch of people running for the special election as we see in the Uh, Or new people, too,
1: right? I mean, I think that's a big question is, you know, Don Young, you know, whether, you know, you might not have always agreed with them, right? But there was sort of a a very particular sort of set of people that I think, um, you know, he comes from, right? You know, sort of this establishment long-term party. And, you know, the question is, you know, is is Nick Begich the heir apparent or is there somebody else who... um, you know, that Don Young would have, you know, that's sort of the question too, right? Is, you know, is Don Young, did he ever have somebody picked or somebody in mind to be a successor? It kind of didn't sound like it, but.
0: I don't really think it's his choice though. I mean, like, you mm-hmm. know, he's, he's, he's gone. It's our decision. And, and, um, you know, Alaska has to figure out what we want next. And right now there's a, it's a gulf. It's a, it's a chasm between Christopher Constant and Nick Begich and there aren't a lot of other, you know, the, I'd say that at this point, those are the two people that are, in the, in the race that have the best chance of winning. But it, but without an incumbent, without a Don Young in the race, without an, an, a person who has been undefeated for, you know, 40-plus years, um, you know, I think that we're going to have people come out of the woodwork that are going to be willing to run that wouldn't be willing to run against Don Young.
1: Oh, yeah, that's what I, I think that's what I was getting at there is that you know, there's a lot of people who would like that seat. There's not a lot as many people who would want to run against Don Young to yeah. get that seat. So,
0: but I've said this before, and I think I'll maintain it that there probably aren't there, uh, the unfortunate thing about Alaska is there aren't a lot of Alaskans who want to go live and work in Washington D.C. So I think that I think that we have this sort of like self-limiting factor there in that. People who live in Alaska want to live in Alaska, and so it's hard to. It's. I think it's a big sacrifice. I think it's a, a huge sacrifice for someone to go and be spend most, uh, you know, most of or or a lot of their time in in Washington D.C.
1: Well, and two, I think you know, unlike a U.S. Senate seat where you get to be in the office for six years, it's you know you are committing yourself to an ever never ending cycle of new elections, and so I yeah. think I mean honestly, too, it's. Important to keep in mind is I think there's like a there was definitely a kind of mythos around Don Young that definitely helped you know contribute to him holding that seat for as long as he did right that there this kind you know you sort of see it today you know and this sort of like you know he was treated as this larger than life character in a lot of ways and almost representative of Alaska but like when you think about it like you know there's no guarantee that the next person's gonna have it for. You know, most of our lifetimes. So, I think that's going to. You know, that there's a chance that you know every two years this will be a, a competitive, hard-fought seat. And um, I don't know. I think it, it's going to really change things, right? I think that's, you know, whether or not you agreed with him, yeah. you know, Don Young was sort of the constant in Alaska politics, right? Yeah. And, um, and so he was, you know, he was a foundational piece of it, uh in a lot of different ways and uh you know and and so now that it's sort of it's changing honestly i hope that a lot of people come out of the woodwork of all sorts of kinds because i think that's kind of what the system is designed for right is to allow more voice you know this new election system it's designed to make it so the political parties don't have like a uh, complete lock on the process and that's kind of how it would have been right is that uh, prior to it, the parties would have had their nominees, right? And so to have the blessing of that party mechanism, and now it's open. So you could get, you know, you can get your moderate Republicans, you you know, like a Josh Revac, or you could get, you know, your resource development friendly, you know, Alaska Native person like Tara Sweeney or something like that. And there's just like a ton of different
0: You're saying the names that are like the sort of obvious names and I'm grimacing here a little bit because like my experience with Josh Reback is like he was there like with Eastman over in the courthouse trying to swear in Sharon Jackson, like in this like little farcical goofball move. And he was, you know, just like Chris Kirka is now, he was like one of Eastman's toadies And and then all of a sudden he like spit shined himself up and now he's in the Senate and he's you know it's just a it's to me it's kind of like I'm the 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 revac arc is not one I'm I'm pumped
1: by I mean I think that's what's really interesting about our place right now I think it, it speaks to Alaska politics in general right is that you know if not three and a half years of Dunleavy I think a lot of these Republicans would not look as good I think I think there's like kind of a by you know by comparison some of these sort of Quote, unquote, you don't have to be all that centrist to be pretty broadly popular in Alaska like you yeah. you look at Lisa Murkowski for example right like she's not super progressive by any means she's a Republican at the end of the day and so but I think they're like you know the, so the question is though is that is like a Kelly Shabaka? like there is there's still a gulf between her and like the really far right but I what it's all to say though is that I th- I totally understand a lot of people going like hey hold up like I don't really like electing Republicans still like I think that's a fair place even though like even though these Republicans are not as bad as the worst Republicans they're still kind of you know antithetical to some a lot of your pol- you know your your sort of ethical and policy goals right and so I but that's all to say again all to say is that this new election system, I think, is going to be really, like, it opens the door to that, right? You don't have to necessarily be voting for the Josh Revak because you're afraid of Kelly Shabaka winning this house race all of a sudden or something. Right. You can vote you know, however you want in in these races. And I think with less fear that you're going to, like, be voting against, you know, for the enemy, basically. Like, a vote well, against, get, that's the vote, whole idea, You get to right? vote your interests. Right. Yeah. And I think so, that's going to be, like, really great in this
0: yeah and i i spoke to one of my friends who works at division of elections and you know i was like are you guys ready for this is how is it is this okay like what's happening and he's like you you know this is gonna the impression i got was that it's going to be a little bit stressful it's an accelerated timeline but they're going to make it happen and i think overall it's going to be really good in terms of our uh, voter education you know this is going to be a relatively low stakes way to test out ranked choice voting in Alaska, get people familiar with the system, and then we get to do it for real in the fall. And so I, I you know, in terms of like the timing of this, I think that we're, I think that it's really uh, going to be good for voter education. So and I think
1: too, yeah, yeah, and I think, I think that, yeah, I think to seeing how the process plays out and feeling those questions, because right, like this, the other thing that we we get to keep in mind is that while on our end of the spectrum, that we get to. Th- You know there's how does the process work how does this work you know how does how do we make sure voters are educated on the very far right side of things too there's going to be like all the conspiracy theories in the world right and so kind of at least getting a dry run through some of them honestly like you know if they want to do an audit of it they want to do all the sort of like fake stuff that you know makes them quote unquote feel better um like we we have time for that right and and i think I think there's a big, you know, I think that we've heard people already talk about um, in the legislature, you know, concerns about what if, you know, are we going to have a January 6th kind of situation in Alaska? And, you know, if they have this voting system, um, are people going to reject the results of it? And, you know, I think there's it's like getting way ahead of ourselves here, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think so either. But I think, but you know, but there's there's really, I mean, people think that ballot measure two is fraudulent. so. like there's a, there is a faction of people that yes, believe there, that there, stuff. there 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 are
0: like, there are a lot of Republicans in Alaska who believe that the elections that were run by the Republicans were somehow fraudulent, even though they were run by the Republicans and benefited the Republicans.
1: And all the Republicans all won. Yeah. Yes, it's a, yeah. And so I think like I don't know. I think I I hope that the combination of this kind of like broad number of candidates and a, a you know sort of test oh nine unquote not not really a test run but like a you know first run of it is good because i think it hopefully will draw some of these like issues out
0: so one question i do have is uh this special election is going to happen uh you know the primary like you said is going to be in 30 90 days and then we have a, a ranked choice general election f- or special election following that or then we have a uh, and then we have a ranked choice special election following that um, there's still the actual election, the one that, like, Chris Constant and Nick Begich are signed up for. That's still happening in November, right? So this this person mm-hmm. who wins a special election will really only serve for a very short period of time. And it's possible, right. you know, it's possible the same person will run in both races and have to run those races simultaneously. Is that kind of the, the, the weird wiggly bit here?
1: Yeah, I mean, totally. You could have... So it, it, it's looking like... Um, I guess it still really depends on you know, where in this 60 to 90 day window, they decide to call the special primary election. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if they call it towards the end of it, my understanding is that then the special election would fall on the regular primary election. day. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, you could you could have a ranked choice part of that ballot. And I think it kind of I mean, it honestly kind of makes sense if you're looking at it from like a Let's minimize and we do. We need to have four elections in a year, kind mm-hmm. of issue. But so you're you're looking at a, a place where you're going to have the rank choice part of who gets to serve the remainder of the term, next to the uh, open primary for who will serve the actual term into that yeah. serve the two year term. And so, some and some of those names may not be the same, right? Totally. And I think that's that's I think is a really interesting thing. Is you know I I think. Um, you know, like how the city of Anchorage handled um, the vacancy after um, uh, Ethan Berkowitz stepped away. Which, again, that's also now an interesting sort of thing in the rear view is that they decided not. You know, I think the rule sort of specifically said that they had to hold a special election. Mm-hmm. And they decided not to. And I think they probably have a little more wiggle room in there, I would assume, but the idea was that, you know, the person that filled the spot wasn't going to run. Yeah. For, I mean,
0: that you know. that that is an interesting question cuz like we ignore statute all the time, right? The legislature ignores statute all the time. Is that and if, something that yeah. we could do here or is it get even or does it get pretty hairy when you're talking about elections? And I mean, and a recently in kind of, a recently vote, uh, established election process I mean, as I well. think
1: that's the thing too is that uh, you can you can delay a lot you know, as we've seen in the, in the law so far, you know, under this administration so far is that there's a pretty loose idea of what the law is and they, you know, it takes the court intervention for them to sometimes inter- intervene. And sometimes that can be, you know, weeks, if not, you know, the recall is a prime example of that, right? That, that they basically stole away almost a, what a, six months, yeah. eight months of time through the mm-hmm. court process. So so I, that's all to say that, like, I'm not entirely sure what we're going to do moving forward. Like, we can't say for 100 percent sure when any of this is going to happen or if any of it's going to happen in, in in some way. I mean, I think that if they're looking like they're good, if they're signaling that they're not going to hold a, a special election at all or under ballot under ranked choice and open and open primaries, I think the courts would probably I would assume intervene quickly. But last time, you know, they messed something up and then the the courts just took them took their word for it that they didn't have enough paper in time to reprint the ballot so like sorry we're
0: out of paper we're gonna just yeah. postpone and do the election in the fall
1: <laughs> yeah so like there is a lot of i don't know I, I think that's it's gonna be interesting i mean i think i think yeah. people will be pretty litigant if uh Yeah, if if they're really gonna start to get screwy with stuff.
0: So speaking of the courts, um, I I think that you've been uh, (laughs) swimming around in uh, Supreme Court stuff lately. What's yeah? uh, Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I think that it's it's yeah. I'd rather
1: talk about it than write about it more. Okay, let's talk
0: about it. What um so this uh. This week was the Supreme Court hearing for the um, uh, redistricting cases. And so it was a, a lot of people talking about redistricting.
1: I mean, it's basically, you know, the end of the arguments over it, which is really interesting to see kind of everything come together after this, you know, really, again, very accelerated process. Like they didn't, they didn't really start the whole lawsuit until like December, and they're now going to have it resolved by April 1st. So that's you know two weeks away. And um,
0: so how do you want to approach this? Maybe we should just kind of do like uh, maybe talk about some of the highlights. Like I watched some of this. Um, They sort of broke it into what, three parts, it seemed like? Yeah. So maybe that's
1: kind of, yeah, well, I think just going sort of in order makes a lot of sense because that's kind of how the, the importance of it all went out. Anyway, so there's three parts of the lawsuit there is the East Anchorage Senate pairings. There is the skagway Juno house maps. And then there is... Um, so which both of those cases, the plaintiffs char- challenging the Alaska Redistricting Board won on kind of interesting grounds. And the third one is the appeals of Matsu and Valdez, where they lost, um, and then they're char- challenging against the board. So the first two... the board is challenging, the court's ruling, and the plaintiffs are on the defensive there, whereas this one, you know, the board is on, the last one, the board is on the defensive. So, start off with the East Anchorage one. This is, like, the big case, I think, because it really is where a lot of the kind of, like, core thinking in a lot of the ruling came from, which is the, the main thing to take away, I guess, is that the court found that all these maps, like, passed constitutional muster, right? That these, like, were constitutional uh, on the like four building block rules that we have yeah but a lot of these questions get to process more so right mm-hmm. yeah and so what the judge did here is basically said look there's a requirement that the board takes public testimony and the there's got to be a reason for it You can't just ignore the testimony so that he brings in this idea from federal litigation where they are talking about the hard look standard and it, it basically says if um, the public raises a reason to against your your desired action, then you at least need to address it. You need to take a hard look at it and decide whether or not they are wrong, whether or not you know there's a, another legal reason why you can ignore it. And so they, you could say like and there
0: needs to be okay, some, some measure of like whether that hard look was taken, right You can't just right. say like we took a hard look at it. you have to you have to have some public record of the process.
1: Right. And it can be like, hey, look, we held a, long, a day-long meeting on it. We tried to get there. And, you know, it'd sort of be like, you know, the very opposite end would be like, look, I want a house district with me and Pat in it. And I want it to, you know, just be, snake along the road and go all the way. And they look at it and go, well, well, we can't do that, obviously, because it wouldn't be compact and contiguous or socioeconomically integrated. And then that could be – that would sort of be it. Or, you know,
0: or they could say – Sure. That looks like a great idea. We noticed that there's some public comments that are opposed to having a long yeah. district from Anchorage to Juneau. But we just decided it's a good idea. And then now they have taken a hard look at it and they've decided that it's OK. But they didn't do this in a lot of these cases. Right. Where they. Right. They, they didn't. Uh, show any recognition of the of, of, of public uh, input and in some cases didn't provide opportunity for it. Like in the Senate pairings in particular, they sort of threw those out at the last minute and didn't have mm-hmm. an opportunity for people aside from a few written comments, which I don't even know if those had a chance to get reviewed before the end of the process because it all happened yeah. so quickly. So the thing I was hearing is that Uh, Singer, who was arguing for the redistricting board, kept saying that, you know, this is a political process and politics are part of this exercise. So, of course, people are going to make political decisions. And the challenge to that, I thought, was really good. It came from Chief Justice Winfrey. He says, like, are you saying you can just do whatever you want? Like, weren't the framers and the people behind this, the initiative, the framers, of the Constitution and the people behind the initiative process, weren't they worried about gerrymandering? Like, isn't that why all of this exists? <laughs> and so obviously, you, you know, you can't just say we're allowed to gerrymander, which is the argument. If you're saying it's a political process, we can do whatever we want. So I don't think that they're super excited about just saying the redistricting board can just make whatever decision they choose.
1: I mean, and that's, that I think is the really like core thing right here is that I think that the, um, the precedent and kind of legal understanding of the redistricting process so far has been, look, the redistricting board has a lot of leeway to decide how things work, right? Like within the bounds of the constitution, they can do a lot. And it's kind of been an accepted process. And that's sort of, but I think that this board was sort of unique in that it really like took that and ran with it. You know, it's like, yes you do have unlimited power and they heard that and kind of, that's all they really took to heart they we could do whatever we want and it wasn't ever to say you know they didn't get the part where it was you at least have to pretend that you're following a, a noble public process you at least have to go through these motions of stuff and and so they were you know they were i would say that you know it was like rec- recklessly arrogant that you know a lot of these decisions where the board specifically the, the three conservative members um, really bulldozed their way through these decisions. And and I think, you know, credit to um, the independent members, um, Borromeo and Banky, who, you know, really called them out on their bullshit. A lot of the times, you know, they I think they you know literally said, you know, the emperor has no clothes at several points during this process. we were basically saying that, like, look, you know, there's you have no justification for 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 ignoring public testimony and you and and that's the, th- and then you look at the record, and they never did have they invented, you know, they at the most invented a record after the lawsuit began. You know, you can kind of see the Supreme Court sort of acknowledging that, yes, we've get, granted you a lot of leeway in the past, but it was almost a like hit the we got to hit the brakes here. It's like they were kind of seeing how how I think the the record is very clear that you know this board took advantage of that idea and 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 really ran with it to I I think an extent that was never envisioned right Mm -hmm. what we saw was the um, Supreme Court saying like I there needs to be some more limits on this that there needs to be some kind of check on here because if not if the only sort of standard of of where you draw uh, maps within a municipality is the is that they are within the municipality which is this idea so far that if you are Within a uh, a municipality, you're automatically considered socioeconomically integrated. Like they're looking at that, I think they're saying that like there's got to be more because otherwise you could just wildly gerrymander within um, cities. And I think that was the that was the real check that they're looking for. And I think that is a you know we've seen this kind of happen before in um, in redistricting you know rounds. And so yeah. Um, it, I you know I think that there's a good chance that there's some kind of standard will emerge out of here that will you know serve as a check and I think that the other thing that's important to keep in mind too is that while the redistricting board is making this argument about oh it's gonna just radically upend the process oh we're gonna be like hostage to these public you know if and I think that there's literally a quote that Singer said at some point that was like when we care about what the public has to say we hold elections. And, and it's right. it's kind of a wild idea again because you know the the this is a politically appointed board that is a result of how caucuses form in the legislature and and who's whole you know who the Supreme Court justices are so it's not like a you know people don't vote on these things so anyways uh but but the point that the um the East Anchorage plaintiffs uh led by attorney Holly wells argued in court is that there's not a hard requirement that you actually, like, follow what the public says. It just says that you got to do something to try to appease it. And and they, we already have an example of what that looks like, which is Valdez, where they, you know, tried to draw up a couple other maps and looked at them and said, no, these are worse than uh, what was presented. So They made
0: some super weird arguments. Like the... Uh um basically said you know the people on this board have 200 years of experience in alaska and like we we know better than everyone else and and i look at the at the public meeting we had here in Juneau, where you know we had this one guy who is you know a republican from Juneau who drew these boundaries that were super squirrely there was this big uh octopus tentacles that that grabbed andy's story into sarah hannon's district and you know a hundred some odd people came downtown and came to this meeting to like yell at the redistricting board because it was so egregious and I, like i don't think that you want to cut the public out of that process because that is a that's a case where the public had an impact you know if the public hadn't been watching and hadn't seen that and hadn't voiced their concern that wouldn't have been something that redistricting board would have necessarily changed um, right. And so I think that the public has an important role in this process and I think that's what what you know angers me the most about singer is that his approach to this is that the public really doesn't matter and that that essentially this board should just kind of be allowed to do whatever they want. They've been appointed to these positions and their expertise is all that is all that holds water. Um, you know, I, I, Holly Wells, you mentioned, she's she was also very critical of them engaging in secret procedures. They had a lot mm-hmm. of, um, you know, a lot of closed door meetings, a lot of decisions that seemed to be made in executive session. And she pointed to kind of the the outline of the results of those decisions where they would come into a public session and they would say something that reflected on what was discussed in a private session and so you wouldn't have the other half of the conversation on the record right you just have the kind of the the outline you see the shadow of this conversation Ho- hopefully the result of this is the supreme court will drag a lot more of this into the light will limit what can be done in an executive session like that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing
1: yeah that's and that's a point that everyone pretty much argues um i think it's included in some degree in every other lawsuit about yeah, challenging. Just you know how how difficult it was to really see the motivations of the board, yeah. and that's a big thing too. Is that <clears throat> and they're and they're even arguing that they don't need to follow the open meetings act, which... right? And I think that and that's a, and that's a big thing that they're arguing here too. Is that there's no they're not they're not really necessarily even saying that there's not gerrymandering. They're saying that there's not evidence of intentional gerrymandering. Is what they that's their kind of main argument. And that's because you know and there's so much stuff that happened behind closed doors here. And I think um the the point that judge matthews brought up in his ruling too that i think hopefully gets attention from the supreme court in a way that like sets clear precedent is that like it's really improper to have gone behind closed doors to get advice on the mapping you know and i think that was it was assuming this position that they're going to get sued and and i think there and then you know that's a point that, that a lot of people are brought up is that they were basically acting like private Private a private entity that could hide its decision from the public, and I think it actually a really quick tangent is that the Legislative Budget and Audit Committee in the legislature held a meeting this week to talk about the next steps in this the investigation of uh, the firing of Angela Rodell, and, and the administration is sort of charged. You know, one of the complaints they have about the process is that they used um, the executive session in the first meeting. And um, here they held everything out in the public. They talked about kind of what they were doing with this, what the intents were, how it would work, what the penalties might be, what you know what the legal risks were. And it was extraordinarily like it was a good thing. I thought that was a really like great piece of public transparency because it it told us kind of what the intentions were and it also you know it it made it more clear too it wasn't that they just like came out of a secret meeting and said we're going to approve subpoenas they basically were saying like look we're really trying to work through this here we're like and so it it kind of gave us a better understanding of what the process is looking like and i think that's really good right and i think it it makes it also easier for everybody involved in that to defend their decisions too so i think that i think is a really i think that's the kind of the important sort of like takeaway from this is that that the whole i think that it's, it's not just it's like for everyone's benefit to have these decisions out in in the public sphere and like and because you know th- then you can defend them right yeah. it's easier for everybody involved to stand by the decision as fair with it hidden you know it could have been all fine but it also could not have been right well, yeah. and i think that's sort of the interesting and important part to remember here and
0: this is representative government like this is these are decisions made in, be, these are decisions being made on behalf of the citizens of alaska and like we should be privy to the to the thinking and the, to the thought process that goes into the decision making like we should be able to know what decisions are being made on our behalf
1: yeah exactly and i think that like wish more i wish more was like that because i think that it just helps yeah. you know it just makes you a lot more confident in the process because again like it's it's not a private entity right they're doing the public's work yeah right? we should we should know we shouldn't have you know certainty and clarity and why are you know the political legislative districts we're going to have for the next 10 years or the way they are.
0: So the next uh, piece of this um, court case was dealt with Juneau and Skagway and the kind of, and the pairing there. Um, Skagway wanted to be uh, paired with kind of South Juneau, downtown Juneau, rather than uh, the Northern half of Juneau, which is like physically closer, um, but maybe more, less politically uh, aligned. And so the, the thing that came out of that for me was, uh, robin brenna who's like kind of i don't know maybe a, like a little bit alaska celebrity rich guy lawyer
1: um he, I mean, was, he won the big taps lawsuit so he,
0: yeah so he's rep- sort of been skating off of that yeah. yeah so he's representing skagway and um i thought he brought up a really good point about board deference he talked about mm-hmm. um he mm-hmm. talked That's about what talk about yeah yeah he talked about how board members are deferring to each other and how that almost amounts to sort of like like vote swapping or like, um, political horse trading, um, where if you have a board from Southeast and you defer to them on issues in Southeast and in exchange, they're going to defer to you on, in, uh, on issues in Anchorage, like that's not really a good process. And it's, and, uh, is, is trading favors.
1: Yeah. That's, that's the big, one of the big points there is it was this, you know, so the the important thing to keep in mind of Skagway too is that they won on the same grounds as East Anchorage that you know that the board ignored their input right but they're also arguing um, that the that the judge or the judge was wrong to say that the board, that the maps were fine is that, that's sort of the ruling here is that the maps were technically fine the process was bad but the Skagway's arguing that the proce- the maps were also bad um, which wasn't really that big of a like again it wasn't that didn't, didn't focus that strongly in the conversation here. Again, it was really about process. And the thing that really stuck out to me is that there was a lot of talk about the inconsistent application of, of the board's, you know, priorities. Right. So, um, in some areas they were, you know, sacrificing, um, compactness and, Um, For socioeconomic integration, they're pointing to this like Cantwell carve out where it's like this really looks like a little finger that kind of grows, you know, comes out of one district and grabs Cantwell. And um, and but uh, meanwhile, in Juneau, they're arguing that um, compactness is the overriding factor of socioeconomic integration. And so I think it becomes this really interesting question of like how you balance them, but the main argument here is whether or not those need to be consistently applied. You know, how do you decide when, you know, compactness is the, is the main goal and how do you decide when, you know, socioeconomic integration is the main goal. And I think, I think it is important to like compare and contrast those ones, especially those specific two cases where it they are, you know, completely, you know, you could have made the exact opposite decision in both cases and yeah. it would have like been, con, you know, consistent, quote unquote consistent. And so, I think it, it again, goes to that idea of trading, that idea of, you know, who gets to be the expert in areas. And that's the thing, too, is that the important thing to keep in mind, too, is that that happened in a lot of other places in this map that weren't, you know, subject of a challenge. That there are a lot of other places where people were saying, I'm the expert in this area. And they said, OK, cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I and um and I didn't pay as much attention to the to the third uh, leg of the race here, which was the uh, Valdez-Matsu piece. So I, I, if you have anything to offer on that, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. But I kind of missed
1: that one. Yeah, again, that one is more interesting in the court ruling that upheld the district. So there, Matsu and Valdez, were both arguing that they, they shouldn't be paired together into a house district. And, and they're not entirely wrong, is the, sort of the main key thing to keep in mind. But the problem is that accommodating those concerns requires like a massive shuffling of districts, like Mm -hmm. everything else. It's like, as if, you know, you're, it's a big long line of districts where, you know, it shuffles everything up North and then it requires changes along the West coast. And then it comes back down to Kenai and affects that. And then it actually in, there are some instances where you'd actually need to redraw all of Anchorage it's this really kind of interesting domino effect in how it all plays out because i think that's kind of what's in- important to keep in mind with the two areas where the judge did strike down the rules is that they're pretty i um, confined in and where they were going to impact it so the juno district only is two house districts doesn't require any other jostling yeah. the anchor senate parents don't require any new map drawing but so this one would this require is... like you to draw the entire map yeah. again this is and... like this is
0: like rearranging the living room this is like like let's put the couch by the window but then we have to move the bookshelf but then we need to move this lamp but then we need to move this then we need yeah. to move these plants over here and need to go over there and that means we need and all of a sudden you've got you know everything needs to be redone
1: right and Skagway's like Skagway Juno case is like is it, the better way to think about that one is like let's rearrange the books on the bookshelf, right? right? You don't need to change everything else. And I think that, you know, they're asking a lot as far as like the changes here. And and one of the really important things that I think has kind of been under remarked upon in the whole process is that, like the Registration Board did do, like on the whole, a pretty good job, actually. Like, yeah. um, the, the you know, the house layer, the house layer yeah. specifically. And like, you know, Juno and Skagwick could probably live with the arrangement right like it's if we're being honest here like it's yeah it's not perfect but like within the realm of things that they're allowed to do it was definitely something that they were allowed to do
0: and Valdez's bad luck is just kind of coming at the end of the process they're sort of like the last thing they got thrown
1: in like yeah and the board would and the board would argue that they had been thinking about them the whole time I think that's a little again invented again after the after the record. and it, the, But the problem there, again, is that really the truly ideal district for Valdez would be with Cordova and Kodiak. Because they're kind of these commercial fishing communities, but there's just too much population in it. So one of them has to be kind of the odd duck out. And um, so, the, I mean, like, the alternative that they proposed would have put Cordova with Fairbanks. So yeah. that's like, gives you an idea of, like, what they were looking at here. And so... But so the really the unremarked thing about it, too, is that, you know, not only were the house maps like pretty good, you know, this is the first time that they weren't ever, you know, they didn't find a constitutional problem with these maps. Right. Like that's that speaks again to, I think, the the board's like full understanding of like the rules and and they were just pushing them too much. But, you know, they, they did, you know, they respected especially Alaska Native community boundaries in a way that have never has never happened really in the past. Um, you know, they were able to really separate um, the interior Athabascan communities from the North Slope and from um, the Bering Strait communities. Um, and that's been a really big issue before fair or the interior Doyon region has been had several communities like, you know, kind of sliced out of it and put into other districts. And so they never had yeah. like a, a unified district. And so the the big thing that the board did that is kind of new here that the, the judge upheld is that they gave weight to uh alaska native corporation boundaries and uh you know set by ink uh, these are um you know basically the argument is that you know the process so far has given a lot of deference to really, you know, non-native forms of governance, you know, boroughs and cities. And and they're basically arguing that, you know, the Alaska Native corporation boundaries should have some kind of weight in the process. And I I think the judge really agreed. You know, I think they're basically saying that it's not that they should get deference on their own, but they simply serve as a good indicator of socioeconomic integration.
0: How much much of that do you think came from having strong indigenous representation on the redistricting board and how much of that is just sort of a mark of where we are at this time in our history?
1: I think a little bit of both. Um, I think that actually um, Binkley, John Binkley, the board, the conservative board chairman who, you know, tangent, you know, aside, I think, you know, his political stock has really been hurt by this whole process. He's kind of come off as being like uh, a little bit of a partisan goon, but, You know, but I think he also really did from the start care about keeping the Doyon boundaries. And I think it's because, you know, he's part of Fairbanks community. Doyon is a big, you know, it's Doyon. And when I say Doyon, it's Doyon and a bunch of other, um, you know, Alaska Native organizations from the interior all really lobbied hard on this. It was one of the strongest sort of messages that came out of the community about how the map should be drawn. And so I think, you know, I think there's a combination of having two people Alaska Native people, um, Romeo and uh, Banky on the board. But I think also Bankley, you know, gave it some weight and really and, and took it to heart. And then other members just all deferred to him <laughs> because that's, the, that's, you know, how this board works. But, but I do think that, that that is like a valuable thing. And I think that's one of the things that kind of b- b- bugs me a little bit about this process is that I think people are when they're kind of looking at these arguments that are being brought about it. Um, I think there's like kind of a reflexive response to say that anything the board did must've been illegal and wrong and underhanded, but it's like, no, this, this is kind of a, it's a big, tricky, complicated process. And there were like, you know, good things that happened in it yeah. and, and it wasn't all bad and it was, and, and so that, so that, and then that I think is what kind of bothers me too, about you hear some of the challenges coming out of Valdez and Matsu and it, it, a lot of it kind of boils down to, well, our concerns should matter more than Alaska Native concerns, mm. and and I think there I think that they do have some arguments where maybe the process around how they reach those positions or, or or how they maintain them as they were going forward, like I think there's some valid concerns and arguments you could make around those edges, but the idea that solely like Non-native communities should matter more than native communities is like a kind of ugly argument to be making in this whole process, because I think that like, you know, you look back at a lot of it, you know, the last round, again, it split a lot of these, you know, culturally, you know, cohesive communities apart, you know, they were putting, you know, and that's the thing, too, is that, you know, you look back at a lot of the records and it's like, you know, putting interior Athabascan with other communities is just like you know some of the strongest lack of economic integration that you have in the state so so
0: this is this is going to be decided by the Supreme Court uh just in a, in like a what, week and a half or something like that yeah pretty much yeah and and then um and then we will either go back to the drawing board and make some changes or we will be content with with, with what we have for the next 10 years right
1: yeah, I mean, so there's kind of, I, you know, sort of three broad options, right? Is that they, uh, uh, you know, um, overturn everything, and you know the board is fine. They could, you know, uphold the judge Matthews, and they could redraw, be forced to redraw Skagway, and and uh, fair or Skagway and Juno and East Anchorage. But again, like they don't have to necessarily do that. They could also. Just come up, you know, go back, have a meeting for a couple of days, and say, "Well, we couldn't do it," you know. Right. Although, again, that would be sort of hard to actually prove at this point. Um, or, you know, the judge, the court, Supreme Court could order a whole new set of rules because, you know, it's important. You know, the last time it happened, right, that several districts were struck down by the Superior Court judge, and then the the Supreme Court came back and it was a completely different reason that they negated the entire map. So um, it's possible that it, again, it's so there's a whole third other option that we won't know, you know, yeah. we'll only know when we see it. And
0: so. I, I think the biggest thing is just going to be, you know, there, whatever comes out of this case, I think that, or these cases, I think that the biggest thing is going to be, uh, just on impacting on process. So for next time around, if they say, listen, you've got to listen to public testimony, you've got to, Take a hard look at public testimony. You can't be doing all this stuff behind closed doors. I, and I think that if that if that comes out of this process, I'm going to be really happy. Um, you know, beyond that, it would be really nice to see the Senate district, uh, the Eagle River Senate district, fixed um, because I think that's a pretty egregious abuse of power. But um, you know, aside from that, I think I'd, I'd be pretty happy with this process um, if they just sort of said, "Let's make sure our procedure is above board."
1: Yeah. I, I would totally agree. I think that, you know, that's that's the whole issue here, right, is that a lot of the underhanded maneuvers are the product of inference, right? We don't know for sure that they did anything because they hid so much behind, you know, the attorney-client privilege and, and executive sessions. And so I think, you know, it would have been to their benefit, right, if much more of it was on the record. And it, hey, like, it, if they really, nothing was really happening, then that much the better right and yeah. or for them and and so i think yeah i think it's a good lesson just about you know the responsibility of a public you know agency government body to the public right yeah. to be able to be able to understand and, and fully challenge and and handle all this stuff and i think that's sort of my frustration with it at the end of the process is that you know, there's still issues still you know outstanding issues with the record right that we don't You know that there there are parts of this trial where you know they are saying out loud like we don't know for sure that this was illegal or there was anything wrong or we don't know what they what their reasoning was still and and to not have that part of the record. And, and, and I think that part of that is because it's, it's sort of very accelerated trial. But, too, I, you know, you look at it and there's, you know, all along the process there are people using their personal cell phones and stuff and, and creating this sort of record outside of the record. And, and I, I hope, I think you're right, if, you know, even if they don't, if they leave the maps how they are, but, you know, enforce a stronger and more clear process in the future, I think that would be great too. I think that at least is a takeaway. So that's the thing too. And it's on a personal note, right? I've been covering this for a couple months now. Uh, you know, I, I was super, you know, neck deep in the last round of it too. And I, it's one of those things where like turning around and trying to get people really excited about it is really hard because, you know, this is a thing that happens every once once every 10 years and is kind of this esoteric process in the first place. But, I mean, I think it really, at the end of the day, like, it really matters. And I think that the previous process and, and I think the makeup of this year's board with with two really strong voices that to the contrary that were really hard to ignore in a lot of cases pr- created a better process than we've had before. And I think there's still huge gaps in it, but I think, again, it's, I think there's sort of revisions each time along the way that I think are really meaningful with it. So yeah, that's why we should have a constitutional convention so we can get rid of the entire process altogether. And we'll have a new one. No, stop. Legislature, legislature should draw the maps. Yeah.
0: Great. Okay. So, um, the, uh, you went on one tangent there that about the, um, subpoenas that the legislature, uh, issued in the, in the case of Angela Riddell's firing, and um, I was just wondering if you had, if you wanted to talk about that a little bit more, if you had anything to say about it. I guess my biggest question is like, what does that mean? And what will we see as a result of that? It sounds like they've invited people to come give some testimony and that they'll maybe lean on the subpoenas if they don't. Is that kind of where we're at?
1: Right. That's, yeah. So. I would call it like the next escalation in this fight because um, independent investigators already have invited people to to testify, and the state's response was, "We're going to sue you over uh, this," you know, right. and so they, you know, and so the state department of law has already like turned this up to to like nine mm-hmm. at least or eight, I guess. Filing a lawsuit would turn it up another notch, uh, so you got to have some notches to turn it up still. So so yeah, so there. I mean, I think. You know, this is this is the next sensical next step if they're if they're going to be resistant to it. The bit, the thing to keep in mind, I think, and they, there was actually and this is a, why I really liked having this conversation in the public is that, you know, there was a question like, what happens if they don't? Right. I think it's a question we all have that would probably get answered in a, an executive session. Right. That we wouldn't really have a clear answer. But they so someone says, well, what happens if they don't want to talk to us? And what's the penalties? Right. And so they can talk voluntarily which is interesting because you don't have to be truthful if you're talking voluntarily right but if you're subpoenaed you are put under oath and then you have penalty of perjury and all that sort of stuff they also kind of indicated that even if they do talk voluntarily but they're pretty sure they're lying they can still they might still subpoena them yeah i think it's you know it's really you know gonna see what the next next step in the process is i think it was interesting too to hear a lot of the kind of conservative you know dunleavy aligned people on the board who are on the committee who really want to be friendly to dunleavy but also can of can't really totally look the other way like because it would be look look like they were trying to cover up what i think is pretty clearly at least a questionable process yeah um but there's a lot of talk about like look they you know we don't want to we don't want to use these and they were like there's this big discussion about whether or not they would use may or shall and the motion with the impact, the the outcome being exactly the same under either circumstance. Right. But so let's, I think but it's let's kinda, use
0: the softer language just so we don't offend anyone.
1: I think it got so far down the, the line that the person pushing for softer language eventually just gave up on it. Oh, good. They used the harder language yeah. because they, they, they recognized and... That how ridiculous it was being you know, i think there's some really good strong questions there i think it was really good to hear directly from the attorneys, the independent counsel that was working on it i think you know i think that there is you know there is a concern about it being a political appearing process right um you know i think it it certainly helps that everyone was unanimous when they voted on it. even laura reinbold you know voted for it um i guess she's not a big fan of don levy so it's maybe not that no.
0: notable what's what's the timeline on something like this like is this going to stretch out past the election like are we it like, might i mean that seems like a really in, like the, the people that are on that are making these decisions won't be there anymore uh, you know like von imhoff who's been chairing these meetings is already said that she's not running right so that, mm-hmm. it would feels like it would really change things if she's not around or um if Dunlavy doesn't does or doesn't get elected that that'll change some things too like the the urgency might just like fall away if he's not there anymore or it might ramp up if he still is there i i guess i i don't necessarily see the trajectory for this process
1: yet and i was wondering if you have any insight on that yeah not really i mean i think i think we'll see it come in bits and pieces right so the next step will be whether or not they listen you know whether or not they sit down for these voluntary interviews um and that's the thing, too, is that uh, you can slow stuff down a lot in the courts, right? So mm-hmm. so the initial the re- response from the Department of Law that kind of set everything off was basically arguing that the, the, the legislature didn't follow the rules, I mean, incorrectly citing what rules they're supposed to follow, also kind of notably. Mm-hmm. And then we're arguing that the legislature doesn't have the right to investigate this stuff, that they only have... You know the right to look at and and so the the is it it weird council
0: is it is it weird for the for the um department of law to sort of like be used as a tool against the legislature by the executive branch
1: i i think so i i would say so i mean i think especially when they are covering up what is like clearly a political like process right this is you know this there's no overriding state interest I think in trying to keep all this stuff completely secret right, right. you are you're doing the work of of protecting individual interests here right? right and that's that's what's kind of gross about everything out of this department this version of the Department of Law under Dunleavy is that no. so much of it does feel like they are Just you know the personal attorneys of Dunleavy and friends Right. And well
0: there are other gross things out of this Department of Law.
1: Yes <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, this,
0: this in particular also is gross. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think it's weird. I don't think it's necessarily like impossible or illegal necessarily, because again, you have pretty broad rules on what you can do and there's not a lot of checks on it. I mean, I think that we'll end up with probably a court ruling that will add another month or two to the process because, they're going to argue that probably the court, the legislature doesn't have the right to do all these things. They're going to have to brief on it. They probably have oral arguments on it. You know, so we're talking like 60, 90 days probably there at least. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the style, right? It's kind of this run up the clock mentality. Um, I think though there, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how willing people are to stand up and actually talk about it, right? Especially some of those Republicans. I think von Imhoff has been really outspoken about it. She's been very firm in her convictions with this issue. So I think that's good. I think though, whether or not other Republicans or or people that are already not in the Dunleavy camp, like speak up about it is going to be interesting. You know, I think that's kind of where we come down here is that, you know, we don't have a ton of clear answers. And just how willing like the political system is to just look the other way is going to be a really interesting element of it. Um, so I think, it, you know, I think that's concerning. I think that there's like just weird stuff that is going on again. And it's like, it's, it's almost like, you know, that they, yes, they had the right to fire Rodell, right. They, there's not a lot of argument about that, but again, the, the process to the influence who knew what, when, why were they doing it all those sort of things like kind of speak to the foundational like dishonesty about around this administration that I think is almost like the bigger issue right is that yeah they could have done it but why were they doing it were they self-dealing with it and I think those are the really important and kind of unanswered questions here because again like they were allowed to fire you know that's that's the law but um, were they allowed to fire her the way they did? Is sort of the so change 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 your subject
0: here. Campaign finance limits are are eradicated. <laughs> Talk uh, about self dealing, right? So so right now, unlimited contributions. The the House did pass a version of campaign finance reform that puts some limitations
1: uh, in place. Smart limitations too. Mm-hmm. It's changing it from it used to be that you could give a candidate five hundred dollars one year and five hundred dollars the next year, and that really yeah, there's an advantage, right, to being out of the gate first because your mega donors or your kind of donor class could give you a thou. Um, so this changes it to a, a election cycle limits. I think it's $2,000 total. It seems fine. You know, it's some sort of limits. It's it's much higher than they were before, but it seems to be that it would at least satisfy the concerns raised by the court. And the Republicans fought You know, tooth and nail against it. You know, it was really uh, a more uh, remarkable, I think, kind of series of floor session debates about the amendments and the bill itself, you know, arguing that it's a limitation on free speech, that corruption never, you know, corruption doesn't matter, apparently.
0: Well, that was, the, that was the most wild thing for me is I saw that come across that. some uh, was it Kirkus? Someone was saying like the legislature has basically never been corrupt. I'm like, are you, yeah, are you kid- Carpenter? Yeah. Oh, Carpenter. Yeah. Are you yeah. kidding me? Like, the, have you not heard of the Vico scandal? Like what is like- And then
1: their, their rebuttal to that was like, well, they, well, it wasn't very much money. So <laughs> it, so it doesn't, so if they're, if they were corrupted by a little bit of money, then it's not going to make a big difference if it's unlimited amounts yeah, of money. Please yeah.
0: let us have more money if we're going to be corrupt.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I think and I don't know, I mean, I I think that they're really, you know, the, the thing to keep in mind is that legislators can't even raise unlimited amounts of money right now. They're because they're in session. And the only person that's like well documented to be trying to raise unlimited amounts of money is Dunleavy, who, you know, whose Department of Law didn't really defend this law in court, whose elections bills don't include any sort of campaign finance limits. Who, you know, rode to office on a four wheeler.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> down the middle but of rode to office on a office on a on a
1: political action committee, you know, run by his brother that basically did all the normal campaign stuff. Like it was a really kind of a, it was unprecedented in, in a way where you had a, a pack basically doing all the work that a normal campaign would do. And so I, I got some flack because I wrote about how even though the House passed these this legislation for all intents and purposes, this led you know there's not going to be campaign limits this year. Like but let's be honest, you're saying the Senate's because,
0: not going to deal with it.
1: Yeah, is it, is it the Senate's already said they're not going to deal with it? They said uh, the the guy, the Senate Senator Mike Shower, the guy who's got the committee where all these bills, all these bills would be brought, routed through, says that they've got other priorities this session. You know, and uh, it, what I think is interesting about it too is that I think there's a a decent amount of water carrying for Dunleavy. But I think too, it kind of it really does sort of speak to some of the like Republican ideas about money in politics, which is, uh, you know, we heard in addition to these like free speech kind of crap and and this idea about corruption not mattering, there was a, a fair amount of people who were complaining about ballot measure two that oh it's 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 not you know it's disadvantaging us. They are complaining about union money that oh we can't keep up with unions, which again, <laughs> great put not some, that you know, put some limits yeah. in place. <laughs> yeah and 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 three, that the social media companies are are censoring them and it, you need more money to be able to go up with a with the the evil Facebook that's suppressing Republican speech and so, it's like so you
0: can buy ads on facebook
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah and 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 so I I mean, I think to me I, I would hope people the takeaway here is that like the the Republican arguments against it, are very bad faith you know and i think you know if, and if they want higher limits then they should have ran an amendment to raise the limits right that's one of the other issues things is that they're saying that two thousand dollars is way too low and so but they didn't ever suggest an amendment that would have raised the high limits to higher. I, and so it's i like,
0: want to know how many of them are going to give two thousand dollars to someone's campaign yeah yeah i these guys are just gonna sop up money from like oil tycoons and then do whatever well, they and then, want.
1: And there used to be limits too on how much money you could take from out of state, and that was one of the things that was struck down. Um, this bill would put a percentage limit in there, so you can, which is, I mean, if it, that would go into effect, like I feel bad for the campaign treasurers who have to like try to keep that keep up with that, but it would limit a quarter of your maximum contributions from out of state money. So I mean, like. Theoretically, right now, you could, I think someone called him, you know, the billionaire latte sipper from, you know, Silicon Valley could totally run in and fund a bunch of people if they wanted to, which is totally the process going forward. And I think, too, that this idea that um, the public will be outraged that somebody took a million dollars from somebody might be kind of limited. I don't think it's like, you know, we've seen already, like, Dave Bronson ran into office with a litany of, uh, campaign contribution problems that people knew about before the election that only got worse after it. And nobody really, nobody really seems to care all that much. And
0: uh, okay, okay, hold on. I have a total aside here. So all so right, speaking of money, uh, have you heard you've heard about like, where all these Russian oligarchs are, are getting, uh, you know, the clamps put on them, right? Yeah. And you heard about the guy that owns the uh, Chelsea football club? Um, Mm -hmm. his name's Roman, Roman Abramovich. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but that's his name. Oh, I'm sure he's a a Russian
1: oligarch is going to feel, he's not going to have his feelings
0: Well, I I hope I'm not hurting his feelings because he'll probably just murder me or something. But the, uh, but no, the, um, anyways, there's an interesting Alaskan connection there. He's the guy that wanted to, he bought a giant, like German drill or whatever. And he was going to drill the channel underneath, uh, from Russia to Alaska. He... (laughs) he's that guy he's the (laughs) all right he's the drill the the drill the tunnel that connects alaska to russia guy
1: is that a real that is real
0: yeah you don't remember that i don't remember that no no this guy wanted to like um i think he bought the equipment doesn't even
1: seem possible
0: no i said you know like the tunnel kind of right and it was going to be i think it was supposed to be an underground uh uh railway maybe or something like that and it was gonna you know enhance global trade or whatever you know but no it was a big thing i think it's uh go back and look this guy up in conjunction to alaska it's really interesting like 2008 ish or something like that i think and uh um just a small connection to our to russian oligarchs i'm sure there's many more if you know a a good russian oh
1: yeah 65 billion dollar project to build it 2007 Yeah. yeah all right
0: Fun connection, huh? All right. Yeah. Anyways, um. Okay. So campaign finance limits. We'll see what happens. Probably nothing. Everyone's mad at Matt because he said that probably nothing will happen, even though probably nothing will happen. And then,
1: uh... I mean, just for the record, I'm gonna say, don't give up on it. I-, I think campaign limits are good. If I'm, if I'm the, if I'm the guy who stops campaign limits <laughs> from happening because I'm just, I'm cynical about the legislature. When the legislature spent the last three weeks. Arguing about Eastman amendments, then there's a bigger problem going on. <laughs> they have other
0: priorities, Matt.
1: If if we think campaign finance limits are
0: important, we should be writing to which committee?
1: State, Senate State Affairs. Senate State
0: Affairs Committee. Okay. All right. So I will, I will write a letter. Where the bills are right now, yeah. To the Senate State Affairs Committee and tell them what my priorities are. All right. Great. Uh, I think we had one more thing that we wanted to talk about, and that was...
1: Oh, is that the Senator Reinbold's bullshit yeah, bill? I didn't
0: understand what happened there I saw you tweet about it and it was this um I don't have a good she, she has, has kind of an either. anti-vax bill that's been floating around for a little bit and then all of a sudden it just like passed the senate with a lot of like weird names attached to it where it's like oh these are all like democrats that are voting for this and I don't understand at all what's happening so maybe you could help me or maybe you don't even know either
1: yeah so I've had it explained to me kind of like somebody else's sort of like tortured explain idea of what happened mm-hmm I, I don't really get it. First of all, there are uh, several of the Democrats that are anti vaxxers, or at least like kind of light va- anti vaxxers. Like maybe they'll vote for the vaccine program. They're not fully re- Laura Reinbold, but like I like truly an- do well, believe no, that nobody anti- should have like vaccines mandated.
0: Right, right, right. Requirements, right. But not they're not like against vaccines.
1: Yeah, I guess it's sort of, yeah, it would be a stretch to call them anti vaxxers, but yeah. I guess. You know, it depends on what your definition of anti-vaxxer yeah. is, right? Well, I think, and there's a, so, I think
0: there's a pretty big gulf between anti-vaccine mandate and anti-vaccine.
1: Yeah, it's getting blurrier every day. <laughs> uh, so so I think there, that, 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 like, I remember when Biden had his, like, national na- vaccine mandate, which has sort of slowly been peeled away by the courts. And I remember Senator, um, Senate Majority Leader, or Minor- Senate Minority Leader Tom Baggett saying, like, look, we don't really love vaccine mandates you know i think like you know and i think there's so some people i think see it as a consistent position especially within you know supporting the right to abortion right i think that's and so that's actually that's sort of the wrinkle with this bill right is that it has an intent language piece in there that says so which is non-binding let's be clear about that it doesn't mean anything other than that they voted for it but the legislation like specifically Says that we support the right, a person's right to select any sort of medical procedures under the state's right to privacy, which literally means we support a right to an abortion because of, you know, it's been established constitutional precedent, precedent in Alaska, um, on Alaska's constitution. And so that's like kind of maybe part of it. I don't know. I think that to, it's all to say that I think there's a little bit of deal making going on right now. I think that, uh, The the vote for Laura Reinbold's bill, I think, is seen as a little bit of an appeasement measure. I think a little bit of a go along to get along. I think too that there was maybe my understanding is that there's maybe an understanding that there were going to be a bunch of floor amendments on the bill to like try to fix it because Mm. I think there is again there's like you know this is a blanket ban on vaccine mandates of all kinds, so it would be even healthcare providers you know that are typically have been long required to get, you know, a slate of vaccines. Um you know, that would all be outlawed. And this is and, this isn't
0: just the COVID vaccine, this is all vaccines.
1: Mhm. Okay. And it reaches into, you know, breaches into private businesses, right? Yeah. And and tells them how to operate. And so I think there was uh I think there would have been support for efforts to take the edges off of it, I think. You know, to 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 build in some of those things, but I think it's at some level there was a who even cares kind of thing. Like this is, you know, I think there's an understanding that this will probably, you know, this will definitely die in the house. But again, you know, I don't, I kind of don't really necessarily buy all that. Like that's the, that's the explanation. I don't know if I really like agree with the explanation and just, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you're still voting for a pretty draconian anti- vaccine mandate bill yeah. you know and the, um, and the state chamber of commerce came out against this immediately right yeah i mean this is like and again i think it it, it does talk to or speak to some of the issues around you know this is supposedly a bunch of pro business republicans who are pro business legislators who are you know reaching into how private businesses are allowed to operate right and so yeah you know i think and that's the thing I, with i the thought vaccine that was mandate a, i
0: thought that was an interesting sorry i thought that was an interesting letter because the you know it's like we don't we don't want you to tell us we have to mandate anything but we also don't want you to mandate that we can't mandate anything
1: right well i, mean, I think it like speaks to you know that we get we we get all everyone got all wrapped up about like vaccine mandates and stuff but and 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 why they're being i think they lost sort of the sight of like why they're being enforced and it's like having a bunch of people go out sick with covid or exposed to covid is like extraordinarily um disruptive to businesses right like you don't want to have your entire office out for an entire week yeah and um you don't want people to be getting sick you don't you don't want to people to be worried about getting sick, going to your business. Right. And I think some people like so political at this point that they would rather like run businesses into the ground over the ideology of, you know, opposing vaccines. Right. And so like, was the, was the government right to, you know, broadly enforce this sort of thing? I don't know, maybe, but I think the idea that they would tell a business how they can operate on that level, how they can't operate on that level, I guess, uh, seems to be to be weird, right? It's like yeah. it's preventing a business from being able to operate maximally, right? And, yeah, I mean,
0: should should the government require us to refrigerate our milk and to keep rats out of our kitchens? Yeah. I mean, what is the, the government's really getting in what the way? What are we going to do
1: next? Yeah. You know, mandate a living wage? You know, like, and I, I think maybe, I kind of wonder how much of that is sort of wrapped up in there, is that, you know, that there's sort of a element a reactionary element to efforts to try to make things like marginally better for workers i think there's you know i think you know some of this vaccine mandate stuff i'm sure is wrapped up in this idea that oh nobody wants to work anymore and but also nobody wants nobody can work because there's all these draconian vaccine mandates like you know it's like sort of all this like weird logic i think is gets built up in there and so i think you know there's like you saw uh, Br- Anchorage Mayor Bronson are, complain about it. He said, "Oh, the reason that the hospitals are understaffed and there's not enough um, beds is because they have a vaccine mandate that isn- hasn't even gone into effect yet." And and so, <laughs> I think that's there's just not like a lot of like logical, like not a lot of logic with any of this sort of stuff. Maybe it's a go along to get along kind of effort. Maybe you know we help appease. Maybe we settle down Laura here, and we help you guys settle Laura down and we'll get something else along the way. You're still passing a bill that is like bad, you know? And I think that's and that this idea that the house will like definitely spike it is to me is like I don't I don't I don't know if I would count on that. You know, I don't think I would like bank on that being the um the for sure outcome here because as we've seen before, like there's been several 2119 votes in the house that would agree with this bill. And so um
0: yeah, but this could have the same fate yeah. as the uh this could have the same fate as uh the campaign finance bill like I mean, they, mean yeah. they they probably know exactly what committee it's going to and and they maybe they have assurances that it isn't going anywhere.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, it's and those kind of you know getting getting back to that behind the scenes conversation that we aren't privy to. Like those
1: kind of conversations happen all the time in the legislature, right? We, right. So I Yeah, the idea that this whole process is like super noble and everything stands on its own merits is like an idea you need to like abandon immediately because like you know that's the thing too that's actually kind of the interesting point in a lot of this is that you know there's a lot of bills can be crammed into other bills at the last minute right so like the campaign finance stuff might like you know maybe it becomes the vehicle maybe they get campaign finance limits but we also start purging voter files you know like maybe that's the deal that they cut right and so there's kind of like weird stuff around the edges that like that that could happen you know you could see the vaccine mandate bill I, that that one's probably dead I'll be honest about that one but there's you know I think a lot of this sort of stuff you know could emerge at the you know the last minute you know, we've seen it before
0: okay well uh, I you know I think we had a good long conversation I don't want to drag it out too much too much more here um I do want to ask if you saw the op-ed uh, that the um, ADN editorial board put out on Bronson today?
1: Oh, the one about him lying. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I thought that was pretty spicy. Um, I thought, I mean, it felt like a big step to take for uh, an organization like the ADN, um, and it felt very adversarial. And uh, I mean, it was a great, it was a great piece, but it was also like it felt. Uh, like a, a a step in a
1: direction. I think too. The the to me the the like context for it is interesting because there's not like at this very moment there's not like a major scandal that's in enveloping the anchorage mayor's office
0: i mean there kind of is like the major scandal is like all these little scandals and like this power grab and like you know you can't do anything without running it by us and we're you know it's this iron-fisted approach to governance yeah well i think
1: and it's is well so that's what i think it, it i think it maybe speaks to i would be would be wouldn't be surprised if there's something we don't really know about yet that is being worked on Right, and I think that's what's sort of interesting about it all. It kind of speaks to like just the media, the, our perception of the media, in a way too. Is that I see a lot of people, a lot of stories where it's like something happens, and like two hours later, why isn't the ADN writing about this? You know, are they covering it up? Are they ignoring it? It's like no, it takes time to report some of this stuff. Like it, t- to the, especially to a standard of a newspaper. So
0: you think this might be a signal that there's that's more more is coming
1: or general frustration, right? Because, you know, I feel like I might feel like we've all kind of moved on from the fluoride thing or, or from all sorts of different, you know, date scandals of the day. But, you know, I think like there's some really, I think it speaks to, you know, there's ongoing efforts to still understand why these things happened and and what happened. And, you know, there's records requests that are, are working their way through the process. You know, I know that there's a strong effort to still understand why, um, Uh, police chief Kenneth McCoy was forced out, right? I think there's a lot of well, he wasn't forced out, right? He resigned. He resigned, (laughs) right? But why did he resign? And what you know, what was and you know, there's all these you know that Landmine published a lot of those allegations, right, early in the process about you know the Men's Club, the sort of secret cabal of police officers who are running everything. Mm -hmm. Um, that we still you know everything else in that report, right? That report previewed the fluoride thing well before it all happened, right? And everything that has been revealed
0: about it has been accurate and everything that hasn't been re- revealed about it is pretty horrifying.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's exactly what the ADN like editorial comes around. It was it put an important sort of point to make right now is that, you know, can't trust anything around this administration. And I think that's like, you know, I feel the same way about Dunleavy, you know, is that I've already, I'm already hearing people sort of talk about how, Oh, he's becoming a little easier to deal with. Oh, he's, you know, he's, you know, but it's like, man, like, look at the last three years of stuff, right? You know, there's so much bad faith efforts on there that, like, I don't think that we owe any elected official the the benefit of the doubt once they really put it, put their foot in it, right? Like, he made such a mess of things. He, he, you know, violated rights left and right. He's been mired and like i don't think that these like do these people are do any like benefit of the doubt with it right like especially because when they're treating you know the public process or, or government as like a personal thing right i think that to me is really like gross and frustrating And i'm glad that the adn is talking about it because um it feels like it's the easy thing to move on from right you yeah. know you look at the state, it's like, oh, hurrah, we have money. Every, we Everyone loves everyone now. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about the whole idea that we have money is like, well, we don't really, first of all, we don't really have money yet. We're still we hoping have, on that money. We have some
0: rosy proje- projections, though.
1: Yeah. Like, there there should be, you know, we should use these opportunities to, like, make things better, right? But, like, the, the, the players that we're working with right now you can't like really be sure that they're going to use this money to any sort of maximal benefit. Like what if they just come out and say, they're going to build the Ambler road, you know, with all state money now because they can do it. Right. Like that's the kind of stuff that like, I think is, is sort of frustrating and it was a conversation for another time. It's yeah. like, what do we do with this opportunity? But yeah. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, I wonder how things like the CBR play into that. I mean, like if, if a citizen of the state said, you know, we owe the CBR, whatever it is 13 billion or you mm-hmm. know you know and that is in the constitution and that's a priority i don't see how the courts are going to say you can spend it on other things first i think they'd have to maybe put the money back in the cbr and then spend it from there uh which takes a much bigger vote so it locks up some of that money mm-hmm. i don't know we'll we'll see what happens with with that with with our with our little revenue windfall because it's also it also feels very fleeting and i think that to forget that we've been teetering on the edge of financial ruin uh is probably a huge mistake all right That's the
1: thing too is that like oil uh, yeah yeah let's not get too far yeah yeah yeah. all right well um okay
0: well we'll we'll talk let's let's do let's talk about some more of that stuff in the future we'll try and button it up for today but uh it's it's great great chatting with you and uh Um, I'm going to be out of town next week. um, So we'll try and record something, um, but it it might be a little late or it might not happen at all, but we'll see what we can do. But for now, uh, farewell and goodbye, Alaska.
1: Goodbye, Alaska. (laughs) Alaska.